Thanks be to God. Please join me in prayer. Holy Holy One, again, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us who are gathered here, we who have been baptized in the name of your Son, Jesus, into his life and death and resurrection. We pray that during this epiphany season, you would open our eyes and our hearts to your word. And may the words of my mouth this morning and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, welcome to the season of Epiphany, everyone. We made it into a new calendar year and a new season of the church in which the focus is on learning more about who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. The hope is that God breaks through our ordinary routines at some point to give us an epiphany, a new insight, an aha moment, when our eyes are opened and we see Jesus for who he really is. And this season always begins with Jesus' baptism, since that was one of those times when people did see the Holy Spirit come down, and they heard a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, my beloved So we get to reflect on baptism today, which is always a treat, especially helpful on days when we don't actually have a baptism or a dedication of some kind, since those occasions tend to be more about the person being baptized. Today, it's just all about Jesus. Jesus' baptism, which is related to our own baptisms, but not quite the same. So I'm going to split this into two parts. First, about the baptism of Jesus, and then about our baptism into Christ With the first part, I invite you to consider the common but usually unstated question, which is, why did Jesus need to be baptized at all? If a friend were to ask you this question, what would you say? Yes, I know, no one is ever going to ask you that question, (laughs) but it's a good exercise nonetheless. In Matthew's gospel account, which we'll be following most of this year, John the Baptist, he asked something similar. Jesus comes to John, and John says, you should be baptizing me. What are you doing here? But then Jesus responds, it should be done this way now to fulfill all righteousness. I love that phrase. So wonderfully vague. (laughs) To fulfill all righteousness. This is sometimes what I tell my kids when I, I don't want to launch into a lengthy explanation. Why do we have to go to the dentist, Dad? To fulfill all righteousness. (laughs) And then there's those other ones. Well, how do we get there in a blizzard? Very carefully, sons. Very carefully. This is one of the many reasons I continue to believe that Jesus has a sense of humor. Uh, Because to fulfill all righteousness is not much of an answer. Though Jesus always did ask more questions than he answered. It's like he was looking for follow-up questions or something. So we can play along, right? Well, what does it mean to fulfill all righteousness, Jesus? And Jesus responds, There once was a man who was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was accosted by bandits. I'm not going to go into that story. It's a great one. We've got to wait on that one. We're still on baptism today. But the baptism itself helps answer the question. So I'll set the scene a little bit more. Since context itself helps. You see, it's helpful to understand that baptism in the time of Jesus, it wasn't like baptism as we usually experience it today. At that time, it was somewhat of a marginal practice. Not many people did it. 
And when they did, it was kind of a cross between a ritual cleansing and a rite of passage. People might get baptized as a sign of a major life change, like switching political parties or following a new teacher. They might take a dip in a river to wash away the past, out with the old, in with the new. And the person or group doing the baptizing would explain what the ritual meant in that moment. Well, John the Baptist, in this particular moment, defined his baptism as a sign of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So the people who came out to the Jordan River that day to be baptized by John, they were people who, by and large, had likely experienced some kind of problem in their life, probably some kind of public shame. They had messed up somehow and were looking to repent, to turn their lives around. And they wanted to be forgiven publicly for whatever it is that had transpired. And as you might imagine, these these were not usually well-to-do folks. Because good, successful people don't generally go looking for forgiveness in public. We know this because it's not often you hear someone make a public confession or admit that their life has become unmanageable. That kind of thing sometimes happens in recovery groups, but there's a reason that those groups are anonymous. It can be stigmatizing. Being successful in most circles means never having to say that you're sorry. And those who do get to the point of admitting fault, they're usually reprimanded or cast out. Persona non grata. Those were the people who traveled out into the desert to be baptized by John. The ones who had nowhere else to go. So what was Jesus doing out there? Jesus wasn't like them. He wasn't a failure, a loser, a sinner. Here's a guy whose whose birth was accompanied by choirs of angels and kings. Jesus was like the golden child, the sinless one, who by the age of 12 was already impressing religious teachers and with his knowledge and wisdom. John the Baptist himself admitted that Jesus was more righteous than he was. So why would Jesus need repentance or forgiveness? If Jesus was going to get baptized, perhaps he should have at least gone to do it in a beautiful cathedral somewhere. Not in the backwoods, bathing in muddy water, surrounded by people who were thought of as lowlifes. And yet, again, Jesus said that this is what it, it took to fulfill all righteousness. This was exactly where God wanted him to be and what God wanted him to be doing. Going for a dip with a wild man out in the boonies among people who didn't feel very good about themselves. A community of outsiders and outcasts. Of course, to those of us who have read the rest of the story, hopefully this all makes perfect sense, right? It wasn't just at this point in his life that Jesus chose a different kind of kinship. The riffraff were always Jesus' people. 
the shepherds, the tax collectors, the morally dubious folk that no one wanted at their dinner party. These were the ones who belonged in Jesus' new kingdom. And when the dove came down and that voice declared, this is my son, that was confirmation that those were were God's people too. That Jesus' kingdom was and is God's kingdom. And these were and are the people who have been chosen by the creator of the universe as citizens of heaven forever. So perhaps Jesus' baptism fulfilled all righteousness by declaring that all of those people were and are right with God. Isn't that something? I consider it good news because I believe it also applies to all of us. I know not everyone is into repentance or forgiveness, but most people get it. Most of us have experienced something in life that we would rather forget, like those people out in the desert with John the baptizer. Pretty much everyone has something in their past that they don't want to talk about, something that causes shame. I bet you do too. The tricky thing about sin, though, is that it can be something that you did, and yet it can also be something that someone else did to you. the effects are still somewhat the same. A sense of isolation, feeling like you don't really fit in or belong. Might wish you could go back and change something, but you can't, never could, at least not by yourself. And yet some part of you longs for a different life, a path that is free of sin and shame. I think if that desire resonates with any of us, then we are in a good spot. We are are blessed, as Jesus would say, because Christ the Lord came to be with us in the midst of that alienation. The God of all the universe came to identify with the likes of us in our very mundane, imperfect circumstances, showing us the way through muddy waters and broken rituals, and sometimes difficult neighbors. Jesus was baptized in order to make things right again, to make us all right, to fulfill all righteousness for us. This leads me to part two, two of two, our baptism. There's the baptism of Jesus, And then there's our baptism into Christ Jesus, which isn't quite the same, is it? When I was young, my mom used to like to tell me the story of of my own baptism as an infant. We were Presbyterians too, you know, so I got dipped. I have no memory of it. But I feel like I can picture the occasion because my mom told me the story, and I saw so many other infant baptisms at my church over the years. I remember the pastor at the, church, at the time wore a, a black robe, so I picture that black robe. And I think the font looking, looked an awful lot like that font. That was the style at the time. And they showed me a picture. They showed me the gown that I was baptized in. You know, they saved it. It was kind of this ugly yellowish-white color. 
Well, my mom liked to say that when I was baptized, it was the first baptism that Reverend so-and-so did at that particular church. And afterwards, he put me on his shoulders and he paraded me around the sanctuary for everyone to see. Afterwards, I'm pretty sure all the babies in the church got that treatment, but she claims that I was the first, which makes it a good story. There I was, predestined, born, baptized, celebrated. But in the years since, I've puzzled over the differences between the circumstances of that kind of baptism and this this very different event of Jesus' baptism. For instance, I know that John the baptizer, he didn't wear an academic robe like pastors sometimes do. His camel hair outfit would have been considered strange even then. And Jesus wasn't baptized in a religious sanctuary with a wooden baptismal font. He was out at a river in a remote location. And then, of course, Jesus wasn't even an infant. And I noticed that Jesus' baptism, you know, it it wasn't much of a celebration either, if you think about it. Unlike at Jesus' birth, there weren't any choirs of angels or illustrious visitors to his baptism. There were no bagpipes or decorations either. Jesus surely stood in line, got dunked in the river, just like everybody else who was there that day. And even the voice that came down from heaven as he was emerging from the water was kind of lukewarm. Scholars point out that in the original language, the pronouncement seems almost intentionally understated. It's not like God said, Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you my pride and joy, the Savior of the world, the Lord and giver of life, Emmanuel, the one and only (laughs) J-E-S-U-S. It didn't happen like that. Instead, God just said, this is my son. He's all right. Seriously, he didn't even get the pronouncement that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden. God at least said to them, they are very good. At Jesus' baptism, God just said, yeah, I like him. And then it was on to the next person. Such different experiences of baptism. And yet the thing is, when we do our sacrament in all its varied forms, sometimes with great pomp and circumstances, other times somewhat understated, one thing that stays consistent is that today we who are baptized into Christ Jesus are baptized into his life, that we are clothed with Christ. That's the meaning of the sacrament. Our baptism involves taking on Jesus' stature and becoming united with him in a mystical sense. We join in his life and death and resurrection, which includes his baptism. So in a sense, we too are baptized with Jesus by John in the Jordan River. Even though the circumstances are very, very different. In some ways, the intent is still somewhat the same. And this means that Just as Jesus identified with sinners and outcasts that day, we're called to do that too. 
as Jesus came to live and suffer with those on the margins of society, those who sought a new life through repentance and forgiveness. In our baptism, we join in that effort also. Even the way Jesus humbled himself, allowing himself to be baptized by an eccentric street preacher into a very strange tradition, taking direction from someone who admitted he was himself unworthy to carry Jesus' sandals. This, too, is the path of salvation that Christ laid out for us. It's the point at which God says to us also, yeah, I claim you too. You're all pretty good. It's an odd and yet wondrous thing that God works with us in this way. I don't know about you, but seeing baptism uh, through the eyes of Jesus, somehow it makes me feel more included, more accepted. Because, I mean, if Jesus was okay getting baptized in relative obscurity with a, a guy who forged his own food, then my baptism was probably okay too. After all, Jesus was and is the Savior of the world. And if all God could muster at that point was a quiet acknowledgement that, yeah, Jesus was good, well, then maybe our modern rituals and epiphanies and sacraments, they don't have to be super spectacular either. If anything, the more ordinary and mundane our revelations, maybe that's even better. It's almost like that's what God was going for. So I say rejoice, friends, in the baptism of the Lord in which we share. No matter what we remember or have forgotten, whether, whether we were old enough to understand what repentance or we still struggle with that idea, still in this sacrament, we also have been claimed as fellow children of God, co-heirs with Christ. And we have been called and equipped to follow the path of salvation that Jesus laid out for us. In this, we remember how even though Jesus was God incarnate, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage or even celebrated. But instead, Jesus made himself nothing. He took the very form of a servant being made in human likeness. And he walked among us as a common and often marginalized man. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even to death. Death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.